We will focus back on Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We will begin in verse 8 and we will move down to verse 13 this morning. And as we look at this passage, we are being reminded of the fact that uh, we have seen uh, this chapter is one of the most well-known chapters in all of Scripture, and at the same time, perhaps one of the most misunderstood. And so in a passage like this this morning, where we are seeing a, a better understanding of what faith is and what we are to do with faith and how faith works. And so in the passage this morning, we will be looking at an Old Testament character just as we did a couple weeks ago. And my plan today is to get through 13. I will shift gears next week and I will focus on a few Christmas Eve messages, about three Christmas Eve messages. And then in January, we will do a series. At first, I was going to do it on just stewardship, but I've thought a lot about it. I've prayed a lot about this, and you can call it prompting of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it. But I really feel led or believe that the best thing to focus on whenever you talk about stewardship is not just stewardship for the sake of stewardship, but rather what it means to be radically generous as believers. And we're going to look at a series of sermons on what it means, and we'll look in, the, in probably the Gospel of Luke, of what it means not just to open up our wallets, but to open up our hearts, open up our homes, and open up our schedules to one another, and to be generous in all areas, and not just generous in a few. Uh, I am convinced that there are some that maybe are generous in one area, but we all probably need work in some areas. And so generosity flows directly from an understanding of who God is, and so Looking forward to preaching that series. We will see that in the new year. All right, here is what the Word of God says, church. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many of the, as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. May God add blessing to the reading of His holy, inerrant, and infallible Word. And I pray that He will write this truth on our hearts this morning. I think I was 13 or 14 years old. We had eagerly been anticipating loading up my parents' 1980s model, I can't remember the exact one, Chevy G20 conversion van. Do you all remember those vans from years ago? I think they've quit making them now, but uh, they were basically a living room on wheels. They had a fold-down couch in the back that doubled as a bed. There were seats that were big captain chairs that were fluffy like recliners. 
and we were going to load that thing up in the summer and go down to Myrtle Beach. We loved going to Myrtle Beach, and my grandmother was going to go, my aunt was going to go. The the G20 was full. The Chevy G20 conversion van was full, and we were all excited and anticipating this wonderful week in South Carolina at Myrtle Beach. But when you're heading to the promised land, sometimes things are not going to go or be what you think they're going to be. We now affectionately call that trip in my family the vacation from hell. It was a series of misfortunate events. Uh, We made it down to the vacation spot well enough. It was late in the evening time, but the hotel room, or the rather the condo through the timeshare that we had that was booked down there, well, I'll just put it mildly, it was an extended conversation that involved very loud tones between my father and the desk clerk. Uh, They were not to his standards of cleanliness nor being kept up as a building. And for some reason, I think it was Bikers Week that week at Myrtle Beach. And so there were bikes everywhere, which also meant that there were no available rooms anywhere else in the greater Myrtle Beach area. And so we spent the night in the Chevy G20 van. Now, that's bad enough. So I'm, if you can picture this in your head, my sister's kind of laying across my feet in the back on the floor. They got the thing folded down. A couple are laying back there. Everybody sort of reclined in their seats. I'm laying down the middle hallway thing the, the, between the captain's chairs trying to sleep. And of course, somebody needs to go to the bathroom, right? So they get out and they walk over. And I don't exactly know how it happened, but they went to use the bathroom at this port. I think it was at a pier or something. And there was immediately screaming. There was a jump into the Chevy G20, which which caused my mother to land on my head. Somebody in a hotel room, I think it was the time when the little laser pointers were just becoming popular, but the only place most people recognized them from was the end of a gun, like they weren't like a little toy yet. And so they thought they were being like scoped to be shot. So they were just like pushing people in to get into the car to keep from getting. Anyway, needless to say, it was not a good night's sleep. We finally, I don't think we've ever been happier to come back to Tennessee after a vacation in our lives. Uh, we found a place, still wasn't really quite standard. We tried to make the best of it that we could, but it was rough. Well, in a similar fashion here this morning, we're going to look at a sojourner named Abraham. And Abraham was gonna was made a promise of God here. And in this promise, there's several things that God makes to him. The promise he makes of the promised land, the anticipation of going to the promised land, and then what actually happens when he arrives at the promised land. Here is what we're going to learn from Father Abraham. Now let me, let me say this before I get too far into this. There are things that I could concentrate on from Father Abraham's life, like, you know, the fact that he was cowardly at points, that he made bad decisions in several places and was not always a great example of faith, but that's not the thrust of the text this morning. The thrust of the text this morning is what Abraham did do well. And so we're going to see that this morning and we're going to look at that. He had three tests that he endured and these are three tests that every believer who is of faith will face in their lifetime. So let's look at these three faiths, these three tests quickly here this morning. Uh, The first test that we see here is one to just simply 
follow God's lead, or as I'm going to call it this morning, the test of a major change. The test of a major change. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. And let me say a few things about where Abraham was at this point in his life. I shared this on Wednesday night with our Wednesday night crew. When you are living in a place and you are trying to figure out the best way to reach them and understand them, one of the things that is very helpful is to ask the question, what are the people that you're trying to reach with the gospel most afraid of? And I have asked that question of people who live in Elizabethton and Carter County to myself. And you know what I've concluded? One of the things that I think people in Carter County are very afraid of, other than Muslims, right? I think they're afraid of leaving Carter County. I really think that. And I was once like that myself. When I lived in Fall Branch, I always thought, I just don't want to go anywhere. I just want to stay in Fall Branch the rest of my life. I want to be buried in Fall Branch. I just want to stay here forever. Had I committed myself and hunkered down to that, I would not be your pastor today. God prompted me and led me to go other places, strange lands like Indiana, right? But anyway, you imagine this for just a minute. Abraham is 70 years old. He lives in the land that he is established in. His family is known there. Ur, it is, it is also a place where you can find anything you want. In the ancient world, from best we can tell from antiquity, you could go to Ur and it had what was known as ancient malls almost. It was the equivalent of that. You could find whatever you wanted in the marketplaces at Ur. And here God is saying to Abraham, you need to pick up and leave now. Let me ask you something. What if God came to you this afternoon? Let's just take all conjecture out. Jesus Christ appeared at your doorstep and said to you right now, you need to go. What would your answer be? Lord, I've been here my whole life. What do you mean where I need to go? One of my preaching, my preaching professor shared a story <clears throat> in his church. Uh, he said that he had missionaries was sending a lot out, as many, many seminary churches do, because lots of people come through and they're going to the mission field, much like when Moody Aviation was here. Many missionaries came through and were sent out. And he said, you know, the, one of the hardest things, he asked those missionaries, he said, what's one of the hardest things about leaving? You know, you know what the missionaries would say? It's our parents. Our parents are one of the ones that are, it's, it's one of the hardest things. They're just struggling. You know, they're going to take those grandbabies and go. But let me make it clear to you so you can understand what the mission field's like now. Uh, you know, if we're sending missionaries to Brazil, we're not sending uh, missionaries to Brazil to the, 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 to the Mecca centers there, the, the meta, to the city centers there to plant churches. Because we're at a point now where the gospel's taking hold in Brazil with a lot of those churches, and Brazilians are reaching other Brazilians in that area. Where we're going is places like up in the mountains where the Native Americans in that area have yet to hear the gospel. Places that are far removed from medical care. Places that are far removed from any kind of help. Now, if you can imagine this for just a minute, sometimes being a part of God telling people to go may mean you have to say, yes, Lord, my children and my grandchildren. Let them be sent to the Algonquin Indians where there is no medical care, 
whether there is no hospital for seven hours ride, let them be sent there. And we have to be supportive in that. Just as hard as it is sometimes to leave. And here Abraham is called to do this major change in verse 8. He is called to go. And it says here in this verse, he went out. And what's it say, church? Read it with me. Not knowing where he was going. How many of you, if God came to you and said, I need you to go, would have said, well, it depends on where. Well, that wasn't the command, was it? The command was to go. And then later to see where it would be. Moving forward in the text here, we see another, another test here. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. I want you to think about this for just a minute this morning. Uh, God is saying here in verse 9, I, God has told him what? He's going to give him two things. He's going to give him land, and he's going to give him descendants. When Abraham leaves Ur, what does he have? He has no land. He has no descendants, no biological descendants to speak of. He leaves at the age of 70, and his wife is about 10 years younger than him. Well, as time advances and God appears to them, right, tells them that this is going to happen, how much land does Abraham own when he dies, right? Have you ever asked that question? Furthermore, let me ask you this question. Did God tell the Canaanites that he was going to go live among, that that was going to be Abraham's land, and that he was going to inherit that, and that his people would dwell there? The Canaanites didn't get that memo. If you'll remember, when Abraham appeared in the land of Canaan, he would do the first thing that everyone is supposed to do in a desert land, dig a well just so he could get established for his family. And then the Canaanites would come up and say, thanks for digging the well, you can leave now. <laughs> and he spent his whole life this way. You know the only land that Abraham actually owned in his life? Do you know? Does anyone know? Was when Sarah died. And he bought that cave in a field to bury her in. That's the only land that he owned his entire life. Listen, there are preachers today who are making claims that you can wag your finger in the face of God and make demands that His promises be delivered to you right now. And I'm here to tell you from the life of Abraham, that's not how God works. It's not how God works. It's not how He worked in the Old Testament. And it's not how He works now. Oh yes, beloved, there are promises that He will give you, but sticking your finger in His face and saying, I want my best life now, Lord, you can forget that. You see, the second test is this. It is a test of a deferred promise. It is the test of a deferred promise. I want you to think about this for just a minute, beloved. Think about this with me. Some believers, as we saw in the last chapter, you will, some of you in here even, have experienced miraculous deliverances. Some of you will see more miraculous deliverances. And many of us will not. Many of us will endure 
with a deferred promise of God. My grandmother passed away. We prayed vehemently, prayed and prayed and prayed that God would heal her of lung cancer. She was just in her late 60s. I wanted to see her, I wanted her to see me graduate high school. I knew God was always good to his people. But she died before, February before I graduated. And I thought to myself, I was angry for a while. Why, God? Why? But then I'm reminded of something, right? They're moving towards a city here, a city that God is building, as mentioned in this text today. In a similar fashion here, we are moving towards that promised city. And let me, can I just say this this morning? Let me just point us for just one second. It may be a deferred promise, but it is a promise nonetheless. God will eventually deliver on. Let me say two or three things about the city we will be at when we are in the presence of God. First of all, in that city, there's no more cancer. There's no more. Everyone is healed forever. In that city, there's no more poverty. Everyone has plenty, and no one suffers anymore. In that city, there is great joy, for God has put to death the final enemy death. That is the deferred promise that we have don't expect that right now. Your circumstances are not an indication of how much God loves you or of the promise that will yet come or of the greatest thing still in the city to just be in the presence of Jesus Christ. It is a deferred promise, but God's promises are good. Third thing that he says here, verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Uh, you know, she could have been, I can't remember exactly how old she was, but she was past childbearing years, right? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man who was as good as dead. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on what this verse means, but I'm going to say this quickly. This is years before Cialis was invented, okay? Men, you know what I mean. He was as good as dead. Sarah is not able to produce an heir. Abraham is not able to produce an heir. They are both physically incapable, which makes this all the more a miraculous birth. I mean, I want you to think about this. I, I was joking with Charlotte on Wednesday night. I said, Charlotte, can you imagine, you know, if somebody in your Sunday school class came in this Sunday morning and said, guess what, I'm pregnant, right? And then like everybody in the church is going to, we're going to have a, you know, a big celebration for uh, one of their classmates that uh, is, is pregnant, you know, or if your grandmother called you and said, honey, guess what? I'm pregnant. You know, some of you, they're going to be like, this is okay. All right. This is different, right? Uh, going to go with it, right? You say that, that just seems impossible that somebody that is of that age and of those and both of the being of that physical condition that God could cause a baby to be born under that circumstance. It seems impossible. That's what God is in the business of doing. And let me say this, it is no more impossible than the second birth when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Actually, that is less impossible than you being reborn in Christ and being a born-again believer. So this morning, 
As we think about this, we may not feel like God has fulfilled His promise. We may feel as if we are facing impossible problems and circumstances. And we may feel as if we are thrusted into these major changes and not knowing. But here is the bottom line. What does it say? All these things happen by faith. We are called to continue forward. And what's he say here in this last part? Verse 13, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Returning back to that, Abraham and his family, they were passing through this world. They were exiles. They were wanderers. They were foreigners moving through. You know what I think sometimes the problem for our churches and our people is, is that instead of being the exiles and the strangers in this world, we've gotten real comfortable in this world. And instead of living in tents and relying on the promises of God, though deferred and though seeing in possible, we build houses in the land. And we we get comfortable with the way things are. We get happy to have stuff and then start mistaking the stuff that we have and even sometimes the people that we have for God's blessing, not realizing that we are just moving through this thing. This is a stop along the way. It's not the final destination, beloved. So this morning, what about you? God calling you to a major change this morning? Has God given you this promise? Have you received His promise? Maybe deferred, but true nonetheless. And this morning, have you had, are you standing in front of this impossible test? What's God calling you to do? Renew your faith? What did Abraham do in spite of all his troubles? He pushed on in faith, didn't he? And isn't that the call of this this morning? We push on in faith, clinging to the promises of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word here. God, we thank you for the day when you say in Revelation 21, will there be a new heaven and a new earth? For the first heaven and the first earth will have passed away and the sea will be no more. The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, a place that you have prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And a loud voice, God, we, we long to hear that loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and with his people and God himself will be with them and their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more, neither shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God, we long for your city. We long to be in your presence. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never accepted your promises, Lord, those who are living with a hope deferred, who feel crushed, Lord, renew that faith in them. Help them to press forward, thanking you and praising you for the blessing of having you in their life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.